A big interview and some breaking news in this edition of the Indie Ball Report podcast, so you're going to want to listen to it here and now on the Indie Ball Report podcast. All right, back again, episode number 66. We have our highest, I guess, acclaimed guest, our highest ranking guest to date. It's a short interview, but it's a good interview with the Commission of the American Association. And of course, we got this interview uh, about three days before they announced their breaking news, which was only announced, what, about five hours ago from now? From when we're actually yeah, recording. About- yeah, so mm-hmm. it's. So there's a lot of breaking news happening. So we're doing our best here to just kind of streamline that, digest it, and give it to you. Which, if, in case you haven't noticed, the breaking news of the week so far and currently of the day is the American Association has announced their plan to return baseball this summer. So uh, they will start play on July 3rd. We will go into more detail about that after the interview that we have scheduled and we'll jump into that in just a second here but i will say it was still a good interview it's a little Mm -hmm. bit dated now obviously because before you announce that you're going back to play you can't mention that however there's still a lot of good points that are brought up a lot of good elements and it does give you a decent insight into how and why the decision was made to roll out this way you know yeah, it does. Absolutely. And I think what makes it a really good interview is something that I think a lot of fans of the American Association and fans of uh, independent league baseball are going are gonna to want to listen to in general is just because he talks about something so important, which is the economics of everything and how that is really the driving force behind these decisions. Obviously, the COVID is shaping these decisions, but then it's ultimately, you know, comes down to an economic issue. And this is why you have the setup they have with hub cities and these type of things which you did really astutely now as we can see mentioned in the interview and he kind of wiggles around that and i think that really gives a good insight into maybe what uh, a little bit of foreshadowing for this this type of move and i was listening back when the hub city question did come up i was kicking myself because i was like ah damn i should have asked a follow-up there because on the second listen i was like uh, he was definitely there's more to that and as everyone will note in the interview several times ago i know you're against the clock here because we really were pressed up against the clock we had about 10 minutes to get the thing done like i said i just appreciate josh coming on the show uh to talk about that and you know coming into this week i thought that the big story wasn't going to so much be our interview and what was happening with the american association i thought it was going to be sugarland kind of leaving the atlantic league at least for this season and we we're going to talk right. a lot about that and then we we're going to talk about an interview that i saw uh, bill lee did and we we're going to just kind of talk about these general things and have a just another general future outlook show with hopefully some clarity coming in the future and then obviously with everything that's happened now that that's changed a bit and, uh, and like you said in the interview economics is a big point is a big sticking point for a lot of this and i think that's very clear in a lot of what was announced today but enough talking about what happened today enough talking about things in the interview we might as well just jump right into that interview now i present the short but very very jam-packed full of information interview i did with the commissioner of the american association josh schaub All right, we're back again here, and we have by far our highest profile guest on the show. He is the commissioner of the American Association. We now welcome to the show Josh Schaub. How is it going today? 
Uh, it's going. I think uh, for all of us in baseball, especially at this time, it's a very high level or high leverage situation. So um, we're pushing. I think everyone's you know watching and waiting what we do. We're pushing to try to pull something together, not only for our teams and our cities, but really for the whole country and bring baseball back to life this summer. Absolutely. We're all waiting on America's pastime to return. And I guess with that, I'll just jump right into it and go, what's the status of the 2020 season? We are continuing to progress. We are trying to put together plans to ensure the safety and health of our players, of our staff, of our fans. Um, but at the same time, obviously, we're watching best practices of other leagues. We're watching and getting information from our local health department, CDC and WHO. So um, we know that we can't do this forever and we can't wait. Mm. So we continue to plan and make contingency plans um, as this thing evolves, both on a, from a virus perspective and also from a governmental perspective in terms of who's going to let us play and when to how, in front of how many fans. Yeah, I know today that the Saints put out a, a bit of a Twitter video and they were saying that the league was starting to get things together. And you mentioned all these contingency plans. I was wondering if you could kind of explain if there's any sort of a, a constant throughout all of them. Obviously, the goal is to play as much baseball as soon as possible. But I was just wondering if there is any sort of uh, consistency amongst any of the plans. Yes, all the plans include fans. All I right. mean, it has to. We're yeah. a gate driven league. And without fans, none of the plans work. So all of those, you know, the other constant, obviously, is the layers of protection against COVID. And so those two things coupled, we're going to have fans. And if the fans come, we need to make sure that we're as safe as possible when they come into the ballpark. So those are two constants throughout all the plans. Okay. And then if there, obviously there's going to be a lot of the protection layers, like you said, obviously the social distancing, the masks and sanitation, things like that. Uh, last week when we talked with uh, the director of baseball operations from the United Shore League, uh, we've asked them about, okay, your plan is to reopen and to have these precautions in place, but how exactly will these precautions be enforced? Obviously that's something that's very difficult and you have to balance enforcing the precautions to make sure they're worth what they're intended goal is and also not wanting to aggravate fans at that much is there any way you have in mind right now of enforcing these precautions to ensure the ongoing safety while kind of maintaining the the enjoyment of the game yeah so we have a set of american association minimum standards and when we put out those american association minimum standards i obviously have the ability to find anybody that doesn't follow those minimum standards in addition to that teams have local action plans about how they would reopen their stadium that are being prepared hand in hand with their local health officials so those local health officials sign off on that plan if in fact they violate that local action plan I assume the local government could be able to take action against our teams as well. So it's really a two-layered approach in that respect. Okay. And then that kind of segues into my next question, which is what will this kind of ballpark experience look like? I know you mentioned that there's going to be those protective layers, and we just discussed that. But as far as the on-field product, I assume that's going to vary heavily from team to team and location to location. But we know there will be fans. We'll know there will be protection. What else do we know there will be? Well, you're, you're going to see some differences in how players interact with umpires, how managers interact with umpires. That's the on-field portion. However, obviously, the, the nice part for fans is, based on what's happening in professional baseball, I think our pool of talent has increased, mm-hmm. and therefore the level of talent will likely increase. So the actual on-field product will be better probably than what we've seen in the past. 
Um, I'm going to only speak in high levels here because we're going to divulge, obviously, the details of some of our baseball operations plans as it relates to the layers of protection. But for fans, I think it's going to be very similar to what you're seeing at grocery stores and retail that has been allowed to open with social distancing, with plexiglass, with sanitation, with masks, so on and so forth. And to be very honest, we've borrowed a lot of good things from other leagues that have put stuff out and even other companies and what they put out. Um, so MLB issued the 76 page plan. We've borrowed some things from that. We've borrowed some things just from, uh, general corporate acts. And then I've talked to also health companies and consultants in regards to return to work plans. And they've given us some advice on how to return our players and fans and staff to our ballparks. Okay, cool. Uh, then that also just brings me to another question that I just kind of had come to mind here. Obviously you're a league that has a team in Canada and then many more in the United States. I imagine the border crossing has been one of the elements that's really difficult to solve here. I remember reading in an article, I think from the Winnipeg Sun, that said the American side of things is a lot easier to figure out than the Canadian side. How exactly will Winnipeg fit in? I know I've heard potentially playing in the U.S., potentially if you can get the border figured out still in Winnipeg. I've heard other ideas. I was just wondering if there's any headway on that. Yeah, I mean, the, the border is a huge hurdle, and not only the border, but the quarantine, the required quarantine once you cross the border. So, yeah, it's going to be extremely difficult to have Winnipeg play home games this year unless something changes. So what we're trying to do with our plans is be ultimately flexible for those teams that currently can't play at home. Hmm. And then hopefully when things open up, they could return home. Now, I'm not saying that we could start with all 12 teams. I think the reality is it's going to be difficult to do that, um, but we're trying. We're trying. It's just the government preclusions are difficult. So um, Winnipeg potentially is in some of these plans. We're not sure what that looks like with the border crossing as it stands. Okay. And would hub cities be an option? I know I've heard that covered for major sports, but would something in a uh, in that capacity be feasible at this level? Um, depends on the economics. Every market's a little different. And mm-hmm. we are working on, obviously, the economic model of all this to make sure that we don't gash our teams for the 2020 season, which you could put them at risk for the 2021 season. So we're, we're looking at all that and where a, a hub may work in a certain city. It may not work in another. And remember we're dealing with the issue of um, only a select few stadiums being able to open right now. Yeah. So, and that that's variable. It's like, you're trying to solve this math equation with all variables at this point, no constants, and then trying to predict the future about when, stadiums will open so there's a lot of difficulty in all these contingency plans have there been any issues or what would be the issues with some of the international players that may not be in the united states as it stands right now yeah and this um i have some experience in the p1 visa Hmm. classification because i've dealt with that obviously in both leagues i commission it's going to be very difficult to move those players into the country at this point to be completely transparent so uh, we are working on a roster system whereby those players would be in reserve if, in fact, they can come back in, but still allow teams to sign other players until such time those players can get into the country. Yeah. And then uh, I'd imagine with a lot of the MILB cuts and, the, as you said earlier, the greater pool of talent, that kind of helps out the teams a little bit in the meanwhile while they're trying to figure those out. Yeah, without reducing the talent level of our league, for sure. I yeah. mean, the pool has just become a lot bigger. 
Yep, absolutely there. And so that kind of brings me to just uh, one of the few last questions I have, because I, I know you're on a tight schedule. And I do appreciate you taking the time mm-hmm. to do this interview. Uh, what kind of accommodations have been made for that on the field play aspect? Like you said, you want to keep the high level of the league still a very high level. And you mentioned some possible roster maneuvering there to allow uh, foreign players to remain on the roster in some capacity. I was just curious to know what other kind of uh, maneuvers could be done to keep the high level of play up. Well, I mean, we we're exploring all things. I truthfully, out of all the things we have to tackle, I know that we can find players. Yeah, and I know we can find good players. We always have, and like I said, the pool is high right now. Uh, it's a small data point, but I will say the feedback we've gotten from players they want to play. And as long as we have layers of protection there, they're willing to play. And we do have those in place. So I'm the, the on-field product right now is not one of our top priorities, one of our big concerns. Okay. And so then I, I guess the last question I really have for you is obviously a lot of the fans know some of the more pressing and obvious problems with starting the season right away. I was just curious to know what are some of those unseen problems that are happening behind the scenes that may not immediately come to mind for both fans and players that are like giant stones in the middle of the road? Oh, it's just the economics. Um, The economics of opening with less than full capacity and, you know, you're basically operating with your hands tied behind your back in some respects. So um, I just harken back to just because a government says you can open doesn't mean you should open if it's going to economically cause you great harm into the near future or beyond the near future. All right. Well, I know you're pressed against the clock here, so I'm going to let you go now. Uh, but before you do, if there's anything you want to say, any message you want to give to fans, players, anything at all you really want to say that we weren't able to cover uh, at this time, I'm going to give you the floor now to do so. I do. I, you know, for our fans, players, and our staffs, we are doing everything in our power to put baseball on the field in our American Association cities this summer. However, we're doing it in a way that will provide the most safe venue possible, and we're not going to sacrifice that as we move forward. And we also want to make sure that all of our cities are financially sound in past the 2020 season. So um, we're doing our best in that respect and mindful of the costs associated with operating with these limitations in place. And we are not giving up until someone tells us we can't go anymore or we just simply run out of time. So we are working hard and we're not giving up in this respect. That's amazing to hear. I know we all want baseball back and the sooner the better. We'll have to have you back on again when it's a less hectic time and when we'll have more time to talk. I do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this though. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. And again, I'd just like to thank Josh for coming on to the show. I know it was a short interview, only about 10 minutes long or so, but I do appreciate his time. And uh, like I said in the interview, we'll have to have him back on again when he has a little bit more time and things kind of settle down here. And clearly, uh, he told me before going on air, actually, that we needed to be kind of quick about it. And he was unfortunately can only give us about 15 minutes of time because he had to get something out to the league out to the owners in the league and i guess now we know exactly what he was trying to get out to the rest of the league yes <laughs> clearly right i mean i think that's i think the interview is actually really well timed even though it's going to be released after this news is breaking because it shows how much really went into that decision and how well thought out of a plan it does appear to be um even when he was talking in the the vague terms that he was uh, he did sound optimistic, and, and now we know why. <laughs> yeah, obviously. I mean, now you got 
you're able to get at least have three ballparks up and running, having a lot going with that. And as we kind of break down the interviews, like we usually do here, we're going to be mixing in current news and uh, obviously interview news. And he even said during that interview that, look, we're trying to get the season going. We're trying our best to do that. We're following health guidelines. And he understood there's a ticking clock to this. If we don't announce something soon, then it's just not going to happen. And honestly, the fact that we're going to have about, what, an 18-day turnaround, a 21-day turnaround, I think? Yep. So in three weeks from now, we're going to actually have baseball to talk about, which is something I'm so wonderfully excited for, to actually have (laughs) baseball to talk about so we can stop doing these kind of off-season type shows yeah um, that'd be nice <laughs> I, i'm looking so forward to doing that here and i'm watching uh, st paul's broadcast of it today on their twitter they normally do twitter live type things whenever big news comes out or at least weekly or bi-weekly to try and just keep people up to date with what's happening and they made a good point they said look this season and even josh made mentioned it in the interview that we're going to have probably the most talented group that we've had to this point. You have fewer teams and such a wide player pool between those MILB releases, between potentially a minor league season not happening, so who knows how many more guys are going to get cut from that. Now you also have six other teams where you can grab contracts from those teams. And I mean, guys like uh, Rick Teasley are going to be there. I mean, take oh, your yeah. pick out of Sioux City. I mean, and so you're going to have a lot of really talented guys now to pull from and add to your roster here. It's going to be very scary. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, It's going to be a really fun league to watch this year in particular. And one thing I do, I do think you could tell what was coming in this interview. And we're going to dive a little bit more into the actual meat of it and how you could apply it now to the developments of today, mm-hmm. which is when I mentioned the hub cities and he said, you know, it's something we're considering and specifically how you know like some teams may not start the season how he mentioned like look we don't expect all 12 to go not to say that they can't go at some point in the season but that we don't expect to start that i clearly see now like if they could have gotten two more hub cities i think then maybe we would have seen a full 12 team slate or at the very least we would have seen a 10 team slate right Mm -hmm. but it's an interesting position they find themselves in though it is it's tough for them in the sense of you have to get all these ownership groups on board. And for some of these groups, I do wonder how practical it is to have your personal go from like Claiborne, Texas or Grand Prairie, Texas or Kansas City, Kansas and go up to these other sites. Realistically here, there was only three real places you could go as far as states go because of all these COVID restrictions. And Josh said, we're following the health line. We're following the experts. You know, we're following what CDC, World Health yep. Organization, what all those people are saying. So that, that's obviously their limiting factor here. And, it is. And obviously it does limit uh, where you can host teams and everything. But uh, Absolutely. I, I do wonder if they could have gotten two more ballparks if we would have seen a full – 12 teams later if just some team said uh the logistics of getting our guys up there the logistics of just running the team that year and the economics kind of don't work out and obviously coming out of that interview we know economics plays such a critical role in all of this so yep. one thing i i wish i would have known about this beforehand because i would have loved to ask one question specifically about the economics of this which is for these supposed road teams in these hu- in these hub cities for when they play their home games, I mean, obviously put the home games in italics, do they get any sort of a percentage of the profit from that? I assume I naturally the, the home, like the owner of that stadium is going to take their cut. 
but I want to know if like when St. Paul plays in the birdcage, are they going to get a percentage of that or is that still going to go to Sioux Falls? Interesting. That is an interesting question to ask. And you would, I would have to imagine for the owners to have agreed to this, that, that some deal has to be worked out in that capacity because these teams just wouldn't be able to, to pay for their rosters if that wasn't the case. Yeah. And see, I almost wonder if, if that, not being the case, let's say that what I just said was the case that, you know, yeah. they're not going to get a split of the pot, which like I said, I think I agree with you that they're getting at least some percentage of this. I'd have to imagine that that would be a large reason why some of these ownership groups didn't sign up to do a hub city deal. Uh, right. You know, I, I do wonder that. Plus, I do wonder a little bit about the precaution here. I know I did get into it a bit and we didn't really get specifics out of out of Josh as to what are the precautions going to be? Obviously, we know for the fans that you're going to have your plexiglass, you're going to have your gloves, probably the staff, the masks, temperature checks, that sort of a thing. We obviously know these things. But as far as like housing players and everything, I wish I would have known a little bit more about that too. I think that also affects things in right. general because we know for the United Shore League what their deal is. I wonder if the American Association kind of follows a similar suit. Yeah, I mean, I think that they almost have to, right? I mean, they have to have some kind of centralized housing, you would think, because you can't have host families if, you know, the host family is going to be at risk of spreading or getting coronavirus from among the players. So, I mean, I think that there's a lot of logistical things that I would like to know about that we've talked about before on the show that are just so difficult to iron out when it comes to this virus. And I'd like to see how it was ironed out and how they've decided to figure out all these things. But I, I do uh, commend them for doing this. I commend uh, Schaub and, and, and the rest of the American Association for going forward, with these six teams at the least, going forward and doing this because, look, at some point somebody has to, and they're going to be the guinea pigs and give it a shot and go first. The fact that they've done it before, you know, Major League Baseball really does say something uh, in my book for their courage and really their uh, ability to problem solve which is something that not a lot of leagues have shown uh, the ability to do and we'll see what happens with the atlantic league but this could be a big moment for the american association if they are able to play games and really be that beacon of hope they could get a lot of press out of this oh absolutely and we're going to talk about the atlantic league and even the frontier league and just in a little bit here but obviously uh, american association is going to take precedent at least for this episode i do agree with you being that first league does present a really critical opportunity for them where they can leapfrog a lot of these other independent leagues at the very least in the eyes of fans and certainly in the eyes of players too and it does take it does say something that they were able to solve this problem before a lot of other leagues were able to solve it obviously that there's other leagues that have other problems to it obviously you have the atlantic league that was trying to figure out a way to have fewer teams play but they're not as, I don't want to say they're not as closely packed together because the American Association is a pretty far-stretching league, but they are a little bit more closely packed. They're in harder-hit areas, so it becomes harder for the Atlantic League in that sense. Plus, getting teams out to Texas from the East Coast is a lot more difficult than going from the uh, Twin Cities to 
Texas. It's a lot more difficult. It's not straightforward there. And then obviously the Frontier League's got distance working against them. It has a border working against them. It has a first-time merger coming together. There's a lot of other elements there. Plus, it's not in the same position where... I don't, I'm going to use the term cash flush here, but none of these leagues really are cash flush. But these right. other leagues, you know, when you have a St. Paul, when you have a Winnipeg, there's a little bit more prestige to them. They've been around a bit more. Presumably, they have ownership that has a bit of a deeper pocket and they have more of a war chest where they're able to do more things. And obviously, a higher salary cap means that owners typically have a little bit more money to be able to work for more solutions. It seems like the Frontier League kind of has the worst of both worlds world's here to work with and so if they're able to pull anything out i'll be really impressed there and um, either way it's, it's a testament to the american association of trying to figure out the problem at all yeah. you had to really go in and and put the effort in to do it because i just think that a lot of leagues are going to be too gun shy uh to do it and they're going to be a little bit too concerned and i think perhaps with good reason right i mean we, people are get sick at, at ballparks uh, that leaves a bad taste in their mouth, and that get, that impacts 2021. And we heard uh, Shab talk a little bit about this in the interview. You, you know, you need to make sure that uh, fans are healthy, and and that in 2020, you don't want to have things done in 2020 impact things in 2021. Yep, you need to take a longer look at the long term implications than the short term. It, obviously, it's going to hurt in the short term. There's nothing you can do this year that's not going to make the short term really painful for these teams it's just about softening the blow a little bit but you're still gonna it's really the decision between are you going to take one off the chin or are you going to take one as a body shot in the kidneys which would you rather get hit with and obviously you know it's it's not it's not an admirable position to be in but regardless of that that a long-term outlook is something that is critical you have to make sure that these teams are going to be around in 2021 and i think that's a large reason why you see those six teams that aren't participating this year not participating that they need to they're more concerned about securing their viability 2021 and beyond than playing this year and that's perfectly fair i mean kansas city we know and we'll run through the i just realized we haven't ran through the the six teams that aren't playing yet even though if you were on uh, any of our social media you already do know it or if you're at all plugged into independent league baseball then you kind of know what the deal is at this point but uh, we'll run through those teams and everything that that this announcement today entails in just a minute here, but obviously I'll just go back to my point here and close it quickly. Uh, if you're Kansas City, obviously you had some ownership issues in the off season, so you need to make sure you're all settled. You got a new owner now, things should be better, but you don't want to expend resources that you don't have to. It's still shaky ground there. Uh, Texas, I know they have a deal going with, I believe, like the Beijing Eagles or one Chinese-based team too, so that makes things more difficult for them. Uh, Claiborne, again, it's Texas, so it makes things a little bit more touch-and-go there. Uh, you have uh, Gary South Shore. I imagine Indiana isn't gung-ho about reopening, particularly Gary. I think they're a little slow there. You have to factor that into. I assume there's a lot of other reasons for these other teams. Lincoln was a team that I know going back a couple months, they weren't really uh, optimistic about playing baseball, at least at Lincoln this year. So that's not surprising to see them there. Uh, There's a whole slew of reasons for each of these teams for that. You know, I I do see the reason there that they want to protect themselves for the future going forward. They do, and they want to protect themselves for the future, and they want to protect fans and look in some areas it's just not feasible to 
to do baseball yet. It's just not. And that's just the way it is. It's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. So, but it's great to, that we will have some baseball. So always some baseball is better than no baseball in my book. And I've said from the beginning that, you know, I was skeptical about any baseball being played this year. And so I'm thrilled and overjoyed that there will be some baseball. Exactly. I'm so happy that we were both wrong on this, that, you know, there yep. will actually be baseball played this year. Obviously this is, and I think the caveat, we haven't said it yet, but I think it kind of goes without saying at this point that all of this will happen provided that there's not this giant setback. Obviously, if there's a setback, plans will change, but as of right now, this is what is supposed to happen. I am a bit surprised, though, that Texas didn't wind up as a hub city. And I know, and we'll talk about in just a second, that geography played a large part of it, so that way you could travel in between these hub cities with ease. So, obviously, if you put Texas all the way down there, it's a hub city, and yet you have three that are up in that kind of Minnesota, North Dakota, Dakota, both region, that it's it's obviously a bit of a hike there, but Texas seems to have the most availability, the most uh, semblance of normal at the moment. Whether that's uh, a good decision that will prove to be a smart decision in the long run or not is yet to be seen, but from a business perspective, it does seem like it's the better call to have a hub city there or have even two hub cities potentially there. So I'm a bit surprised on that. Right. I am a little surprised, but I also think that uh, their numbers have continued to trend up and there's been a lot of spiking going on in Texas in the last couple of days. And I think that has made uh, a lot of people weary of what's going on. I know uh, the same thing's going on in Florida. I and mean, a lot of people are very concerned about the numbers coming out of there as well. So I think there's a lot going into that that makes it a little bit less appealing but i also do think mainly it's just geography uh you know you're you're going to texas is a a long bus ride or a long plane ride whatever you're going to do but it's going to probably be bus because there's really no other way to do it in the era of covid19 so that's a long bus ride for players to have to take very true there plus i imagine if you want to keep social distancing going on a bus it makes things even more difficult because normally you have two or three people to a to a row and now you got to do what, like one to a row? Yeah, that would be very difficult. Yep. So with that said, we'll jump right into the actual beginning of play plan, the plan that was announced today. And I'll close with that last section quickly by again, thanking Josh Schaub for coming on to the program. Uh, even though it's short, we do appreciate the time. We do appreciate him coming on and giving this kind of insight into the decision that was made even before it was made. So, uh, like I said, we'll have to have him back on again, uh, maybe in the offseason when things kind of calm down a bit and we could kind of break down what was the 2020 season with the benefit of hindsight. So that's it. We'll jump now into this uh, whole reopening plan. So for those that were unaware, today the American Association announced that they are going to be beginning play. I think that's become evident over the past 20 minutes that that's what's happening, but officially that's what's happening. So there's going to be six teams in three hub cities. The hub cities are Fargo, Moorhead, North Dakota, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, these teams will play 60 games, 42 at their hub location, 18 on the road. 30 of these games will be home games. 30 will be considered away games. So obviously, you're going to travel for 18 of them, and then... The vast majority of your hub games will be considered home, but sometimes you will be the away team in your home stadium. Uh, that's just the reality of that situation. I will also toss in here that these games can be pivoted to be played at individual team ballparks. And what I mean by that is St. Paul is sharing with Sioux Falls at the moment. 
if St. Paul is able to then host games again because the government lets up on their restrictions, those home games that remain for St. Paul can then be played at CHS Field. They no longer have to be played in South Dakota. So that remains an opportunity. However, they're not really planning on that at the moment. Ideally, that will happen, but they also are ready for it to just remain the way that it has been announced today going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really strong plan. And, and I think that's a great aspect of it is, you know, he talked about in the interview, flexibility. You got to be flexible. You got to be willing to adapt and move on the fly. And they really do seem to have a lot of different contingency plans baked into this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They have really baked in a lot of opportunities for them to uh, be able to adapt on the fly, like you say. I will say, though, their timeline that they have everything going down here is really quick. It is. As they want an opening day of July the 3rd, they will end the season on September the 10th with the playoffs beginning on September the 12th. Then we will see a full schedule will be released on Monday. So June 15th, we'll have the full slate of games for this season. We may jump on in the middle of the week if something changes and the Atlantic League announces their plans because they said they were going to announce something this week as to their season. So maybe you'll get like a quick bonus 20-minute pod too if the Atlantic League says something and a schedule drops that may be worthy of it. Just in yep. case that. So yeah, Monday we'll have a full schedule. On June 25th, which is not next Thursday, but the Thursday after that, the spring training or training camp will begin. It will be a bridge, so I imagine it'll only be about seven days. And then, like I said, on the third, uh, games will start up. The, yeah, that is fast. <laughs> I mean, like, it really is. And you go from sitting on your couch to getting in there in about 21 days, at least 21 days from us recording this. So in three weeks from now, we will have baseball back, which is, again, a really, really weird thing to say, but... Uh, it's a great thing to say. It's a great thing to say. I'll be. I'll tell you what. I'll watch every game. There's no doubt. <laughs> I mean, really. Plus, there's no other sports on to watch right now, so yeah, they're really going to capitalize on that. Uh, <clears throat> also mentioned in the same poll stream was that uh, in order to stream games, there's going to be more information coming about that in the coming days. So stay tuned for that. Obviously, when that drops, we'll have it. I believe it's going to be just one central streaming hub where you can go on, you click, and you watch games, similar to what the Frontier League did last year, similar to what the American Association did last year. However, there was mention that they're partnering partnering with somebody, so I'm not sure what that entails, but uh, something to keep an eye out for. Yeah, that's going to be crucial, I think, to how successful this is on a grand scope. Right. I mean, in, for 2020, the fact that they're playing games will be successful, but this is a real opportunity. If they, for any amount of time, are the only American sport league that, other than like NASCAR that's playing, it might be really, really opportunity for the American Association to grow their brand uh, if they can get the streaming right. Uh, because like you said, if there's not too much else to watch, it could really be a, uh, an opportunity. So I think, you know, they if they can get the streaming right, there's a shot that it all works out. Oh, absolutely. I mean, right now there's golf, there's NASCAR, and there's going to be Major League Soccer coming back. Uh, all three of which aren't really in that core four sport group that we come to expect in North America. So, I mean, if baseball is there and you make it accessible to people, there's definitely the opportunity that it will jump out and grow. Uh, yep. Just continuing on, uh, the main reason why these particular hub cities were chosen, just general restrictions regarding COVID and geography. Those were two of the main reasons as to why they were picked in particular. 
Uh, also, accommodations made. Rookie, uh, surface time, veteran, and any other sort of roster designations, they have been removed for the 2020 season, so you can have a whole roster full of vets if you want it. You can have a roster full of rookies if you want it. You just have to remain at the salary cap or, or lower than that. So that is new for this season. I'm not sure if that's going to be something going forward. Uh, if it works out in spades, then maybe it is. However, I imagine there will be at least some roster restrictions coming back in the future. But as of right yeah, now, is, no restrictions. Yeah, this is a brilliant move, right? I mean, because think about it this way. You can sign. There's so much. We talked about it earlier. He talked about it. Everyone talked about it. The talent pool is so much higher now because of how many guys got released from uh, the minor leagues and how many guys are out of work because they just there's nowhere to play at the moment. And so it's amazing the kind of talent that you might be able to pick up. And you want the best talent on the field if you're the American Association for these games that you're going to be streaming that, you know, a lot of people are going to have eyeballs on. Again, brilliant move. I've been very impressed with. Uh, this whole rollout, and this just adds another facet to it, in my opinion. Rosters will still contain 23 players, too, by the way. But yeah, no, you're going to get the best 23 players out of this kind of designation. And we've talked about it in the past, where a lot of times roster designations are just not a great way of going about doing things. You're in the yeah. business of putting on the most entertaining product possible, and it certainly helps when you're winning. Uh, it's another aspect you can fold into your brand and help sell tickets with and sell group packages with. So I, I never really understood the whole process of requiring certain things. I understand the aspect of, look, we want to try and showcase younger talent. That's the demographic we want to try and reach for. And it's less expensive. It's easier on everybody. But uh, like I said, it's all about winning at this level. Just straight up win, do well, get your contract purchased and move up. It's the name of the game in independent league baseball. So. Uh, yep. I really do. I do like this kind of maneuver. And like you said, there's a huge talent pool. And these are some of these roster adaptations that were talked about in the interview that he said. We knew there was going to be some finagling with the roster rules and restrictions to adapt for foreign players. And likewise, yep. now we're seeing that with just all players in general. Yep. And that makes sense to me. I mean, I think it's a good move. And I think this whole thing is just really exciting. Yep. And then playoffs will begin, like I said, on September the 12th, and it will be one five-game series, and it will be against the top two teams in the league. Uh, nothing that's terribly surprising here. That's uh, Most uh, six-league teams uh, do things for their postseason, obviously the exception being the Can-Am League, which believed only two teams shouldn't make the playoffs, which <laughs> I'll never understand that. But... <clears throat> <laughs> nope but you know um you know i think that was a, a really good move again just because you want to get it in you want to get it out you want to get the the league season all wrapped up you want to play as your 60 games you want to play your playoff series and be done just get it done as quickly as possible you don't want it to be dragged down any longer than it needs to because again if something happens and we get a big spike in mid-september you want to be done by the time that spike happens yep and i think i saw mid-september was when they're predicting that second wave to come through so if you can yeah. get in and get out like you're saying that's definitely where you want to be at so that's that's something to look out for. Also, for those wondering uh, what happens to guys that are signed to Claiborne, what happens to the guys that are signed to Gary Southshore, what happens to all these guys signed to teams that aren't playing this year, their contracts, if I'm right, is similar to the Atlantic League structure where you're not signed to a team, you're signed to a league. However, a team will sign you. 
it's a little complicated, but generally speaking, your contract's not with the teams, with the league. So guys who had contracts with Claiborne, guys that had contracts with Gary, Lincoln, Texas, uh, wherever it may be, Sioux City, uh, those guys will now have their contracts put into a draft. And of the six remaining teams, they'll be able to draft players off those rosters for this season. Yeah, that'll be nice. And that'll give the best player, again, just the the best talent, the availability to really shine, which would be nice. I mean, I think we're going to really see some really great baseball out of this. I mean, you might not have a team that's got a losing record out of all those teams. You know, those six teams, they might all be, you know, it's like an, it's like an all-star game. <laughs> yeah, they'll all just be, they'll be out roughly 500 all of them because they just split, keep splitting games against each other. I think we're going to wind yeah. up seeing one or two teams that just have an abysmal record and then a couple of teams that are just way above everybody, similar to what we saw or what we see seemingly every year in the Can-Am League where you have these two or three teams that are really leagues ahead of everybody else, and then everybody else that's just way down the depths with their records. So uh, it'll be interesting to see there. And also now we know, obviously next week we have an interview and we'll have a lot to talk about. But uh, two weeks from now, if we either A, don't wind up having an interview, or B, it winds up being a short news week, guess what we're going to be doing? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) We're going to have a roster draft. Yep. So that'll be fun to do. See, that will be. The American Association keeps giving us content, so I gotta applaud them for that. I applaud them for that. And man, oh man, I can't wait for July 3rd. Oof. I know, I'm looking so forward to this. Okay, so obviously fans will be allowed in for these hub cities. That's clearly why even Shop said it, we need fans to play. And as far as what it's going to be like in these uh, stadiums in particular, I can only speak to the Fargo location. So the Fargo hub is uh, is in regards to this following information, only Fargo. Although I would imagine uh, Sioux Falls and Milwaukee will probably have similar, if not identical, restrictions. As of right now, we only know this is true for Fargo. That said, uh, Fargo will hold about 2,000 people, 2,200 in total, about half there will be social distancing in place. If you buy tickets to a game in advance, it's $10. If you buy it day of, that will be $12. As far as precautions being taken, lots of hand sanitizing stations, as well as testings for players and staff. It didn't say daily. However, from what I'm kind of getting the sense of here, I think it's going to be more like a weekly or bi-weekly thing. Okay. As far as other things, social distancing, obviously, I believe I saw temperature checks too. I wasn't sure if that's for fans only or if that's for fans and staff or if it's just for staff. I imagine it's probably going to be for both. However, I don't know for certain. I only saw that briefly mentioned in the article there. And obviously all the articles and press releases and everything we have will be linked in our show notes. And then the two other things that I saw, uh, plexiglass will be installed at any point of sale location. So concession stands, uh, gift shops, things like that will have uh, the plexiglass dividers that we've come to expect at this point in this COVID world. And then the one piece that I saw here that I'm personally hugely against and I think could backfire quite significantly is that masks are not, and I will repeat, masks are not required. They are only recommended. And in my mind, they should be required. We know that masks are the most effective tool in preventing the spread of this disease. And so you're only recommending them. This seems like you're begging for a problem. You, you need to have a mask. 
I, in my mind, I just see there's no other way. You need to have a mask if you're in attendance at these games. Otherwise, it just takes one asymptomatic carrier. That's all it takes to have a, a whole new outbreak center. And I got to imagine if a hub city goes down, it could wind up tanking the league for yep. this season. This season, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the masks are, are you know, a controversial thing, and, and a lot of people prescribe, I think, wrongly um, political sides to these things. Look, masks, if they keep you safe, uh, use them. Uh, you know, I think the thing is, is that we need to look at it, like you're saying, from the perspective of just public, self, public health, public safety, put the mask on, they should be required. If they're required, is at least at least they should be required entering and exiting the ballpark. Now, if you're in your seat and you're socially distanced from everyone, that's a, and you're eating a hot dog, take your mask off. Done. Easy. Enjoy the game. But if you're in a crowd of people, you should have a mask on. I think that's you know if 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 those rules are put into place, that makes it a lot easier for people. You don't have to sit there the whole game with a mask on. But if you uh, you know, are in a crowd of people, or if you're not able to socially distance, put the mask on. I, I think that's a, a fair way people carry masks with them and then put them on and take them off as needed if you're dealing with personal interaction. I think that's a very fair way about going about this. And I think, you know, that would be a really good way for the American Association to just maybe tinker this a little bit so that it's required at least entering the ballpark, exiting the ballpark, or standing in like a concession line. I I don't I never got the anti mask sediment. It's like being anti seatbelt. It's <laughs> designed to keep you safe. It's designed to keep other people safe. And personally, if I was an operator of one of these teams, I would require it simply because people like me, I'm gonna be honest, if I see you not wearing a mask and I see a lot of people at this ball game not wearing a mask, I'm not coming back. It's just, I'm just straight up not. It makes me anxious when I see I'm in a crowd and I'm the only person that's wearing the mask. It's like, A, there's a social thing where it's like, it's like uh, am I doing the thing that's wrong? And it's like, well, I feel like I'm in danger of getting this disease now. And it's, again, I mean, like, once again, we're, I mean, we're 22-year-olds. So it's not like we're at that peak risk mark if we get this. It's bringing it home and bringing it to other people that's the concern. And I just don't think people fully grasp that. So I never really got this whole anti-mask sediment. Like, what what are you gaining from this? Again, it's like cutting the seatbelts out of your car because you don't want to be told you have to wear a seatbelt. It's lunacy to do that. And like you said, you don't have to wear it the whole damn time. Right. Just wear it in a crowd, for God's sakes. It's just so damn stupid to not. And I just see, I just see such a backfire coming from this. Because all it takes is a handful of people to get this, and it's really bad news. And yep. once again, if you look at the crowd in an independent league game, and while, yeah, you have some young folk, it's a lot of like middle-aged to older folks. So now we're starting to get into that uh, whole kind of at-risk demographic and more just playing the odds here more than likely you have an underlying condition you probably either have a weak heart diabetes obesity anything like that just things that you wouldn't think about high blood pressure just minor things like that that's an underlying symptom if you smoked for 10 years well you got weaker lungs so now you're at risk too and you're putting other people in danger so i just don't get that it's just selfish to not do that 
I don't get it. I do think it's, you know, like I said, the good, the way to do it is compromise and it's to get everybody together and say, look, you know, this is what you have to do to get in and out of the ballpark. Put your mask on and when you're sitting in concessions, put your mask on. That's it. That's it. Doesn't have to be hard. Doesn't have to be difficult, but just that's what it has to do. I think that's something that we can all uh, kind of handle instead of going through and, you know, saying no masks and then really having an issue, like you said, where the season has to get canceled or postponed and nobody, nobody, especially us, wants to see that because we've been dying for baseball. Everyone's been dying for baseball. Let's just be smart about this. If we're smart about this and we wear masks in position, in positions where we can't socially distance, I think it makes sense. Um, and I think it's an easy way to fix this without having to be pro or anti-mask. You just have to carry it with you, slip it on when you're in, in a crowd of people. And then once once that that's over, then you can go to your seat and you don't have to worry about it. Because it's uh, like even being out in a supermarket, it's hard to stay six feet. You know, mm. <laughs> it's not easy. So, uh, you know, especially when you're in that situation where you're standing up or you're in line or, you know, things happen and people sometimes they lose sight of the fact that we're in this coronavirus world. So, I mean, I think it's it's different. And I, and I, I do think that it would really just make people feel safer if that was the requirement of just going in, going out of the ballpark and whatever you're standing in the concession line. And then when you get to your seat, take your mask off, you're socially distanced. Yeah, that seems like an easy fix. I know it's not really hard to you know just follow the rules and and get along with this. It's uh, it just requires next to nothing of you just to wear a mask while you're in line, while you're entering a ballpark, and until you sit down in your seat. It really requires next to nothing. So I just never got anti-mask, and it and the thing is, even if it did nothing, you're giving peace of mind to other people. You think you'd want to do that, but. Yeah, some people just don't. Uh, any event, uh, the only thing we have really left to touch on uh, in regards to the American Association news is just uh, the six teams that are out officially. I'm not sure if we've mentioned them and listed them off exactly. I'm pretty sure we covered all six of them, but just to put them in an organized fashion: uh, Kansas City T-Bones, Gary South Shore Rail Cats, Texas Airhawks, Claiborne Railroaders. And the Lincoln Salt Dogs, along with the Sioux City Explorers, will all sit out the 2020 season for the American Association, all with plans to return in the 2021 American Association season. So those six teams not happening this year, more than likely will happen next year. As for the remaining six teams, they are in three hub cities. In the Fargo, North Dakota location will be the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks and the Winnipeg mm-hmm. Goldeyes. In the Sioux Falls, South Dakota region will be the Sioux Falls Canaries and the St. Paul Saints. And in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin region will be the Milwaukee Milkmen and the Chicago Dogs. And that's how that is. Yep. And so, exciting yeah, news. <laughs> it's great news. And uh, I think just before we wrap this up and go to Frontier League bit real quick and then go to Atlantic League and then wrap up the show, I will say this much. I'm excited to see how this turns out. I think if they're smart about this, there's proper precautions taken, there's proper, just the proper way of things are done. The skill will be there, the talent's there, mm-hmm. there's definitely the demand there. And yep. I'm very interested to see what this is going to look like, and I can't wait till uh, July the third. So hope. So again, my dream of having baseball played on the fourth of July will actually happen. 
And oh. it's it's going to be a triumph, really. A triumphant return to uh, America's pastime. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be right in time for the July 4th holiday. Just really great stuff going on here. I mean, this is the best news we've had in months. And I am so happy to bring this to all of you. You know, our uh, our listeners have stuck with us as we've surmised that no baseball is going to be played. And they've kept sticking around and listening to our interviews. We've just really hoped that something like this would happen. Um, and this is just amazing news. And I can't wait to be talking about actual baseball in less than a month. Oh, it's amazing. I know. I'm looking so forward to it. Finally, we can put these off-season type shows behind us. Yep. Uh, so with that, we will move to the Frontier League. Uh, this is really just basing off an interview we saw, or at least I saw, and then I sent to you, and then you watched it and uh, yep. took notes on. We're going to discuss it. And this is going to have a larger role in today's show before this information dropped obviously yeah he bill lee the commissioner of the frontier league did an interview with unwrapped sports it did drop a lot of light onto what's going to take to reopen the frontier league and obviously we're going to talk uh to the deputy commissioner of the frontier league uh, steve talsler next week and uh looking forward to that conversation a lot but uh, according to Bill Lee, there are three main areas that the Frontier League needs to look into when reopening. And that first thing is the government restrictions. The second thing is the ballpark adaptation. How can these uh, uh, precautions and safety measures be implemented in these ballparks? How feasible is it? Is it uh, going to be too much of a logistical nightmare to get off the ground or not? And then finances. And uh, those three things ring really true with the announcement we saw today from the American Association, from what we heard with the Josh Schaub interview. These are the constants. You know, money talks. Money gets things going. How soon can you get things up and running? And obviously, can you do it? Are you legally allowed to do these things? Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And yeah, what I really took from the interview was that's going to be very challenging, maybe cha- more so challenging than even in other leagues, because for the reasons that, you know, we talked, you talked about within the interview with Schaub with Winnipeg, obviously we know their fate with, um, traveling, becoming a road team, but, or in like one of the hub cities, uh, road team. And so for, you know, it's the same kind of deal, but it's a little bit different because you got a couple of teams up there in Canada. Uh, and so I could see something similar maybe happening, you know, you'd want to for the Frontier League, but maybe some hub teams, hub cities. But uh, I think it's a little bit different for the Frontier League, one, because of the merger, and then two, just because, like, you know, we talked about and was mentioned in the interview, there's just not a, not a lot of space in these ballparks. We've been to, you know, many of these games for the, from the old Can-Am League, and these teams, you know, Sussex County, the Jackals, and whatnot, they do not have a ton of room. Those are small ballparks with small concourses with, you know, not a lot of stands. So I think it could be something that's, uh, you know, very difficult to do social distancing there. Exactly. I mean, of the ballparks we've gone to, Rockland, the Yogi Berra, and then Skylands, Rockland's probably the best equipped for it. Uh, they have the largest concourse. It's a wraparound stadium, so they're possible. Uh, Skylands can do it, but yep. like you mentioned, the concourse is tight. But once you do get into the seating bowl, then it becomes possible. Uh, Yogi Bear, I just don't see how that's possible. That's a very small stadium, and yep. uh, it's just not likely on that front for me, at least in my mind. And obviously, like you mentioned, having two teams in Canada, 
much more difficult there. More yep. than that, though, even you have so many teams across so many different states. You have teams in Illinois, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, province of Quebec, uh, Kentucky. You have them in just so many various just various locations. I believe Indiana as well with Evansville. That yep. You have so many different state governments and so many different local governments that you have to communicate with. It becomes so very difficult. And of course, you do have these problems in the American Association, but it's a little bit easier to solve. Plus, it's kind of a straight shot. And it being geographically more the same means you probably have the same kind of COVID reaction or COVID response. It's not going to be terribly much different. But in the Frontier League, obviously New York and New Jersey were ravaged by this. Yep. And obviously you're going to have a team like Windy City based out of a suburb of Chicago probably get hit worse. And maybe even a little bit of Florence because, you know, you're outside of Cincinnati. But a team that's in, you know, like, say, Washington, Pennsylvania, or yep. they may not have been hit as bad. You know, maybe, maybe Gateway suburb. Grizzlies aren't as bad. So you have just these various different things. And just because some of these ballparks are in areas that weren't hit bad doesn't mean they didn't have a city in that state that necessitated a total shutdown or a near total shutdown. So the state's off the table for a hub city. And it, it just is a lot more difficult. Plus... Let's be honest, the location where the Frontier League teams are in are more easternly and more populated. So they got yep. hit harder. They're just in a worse position because of that. So when, you would, yeah, so when you would ideally think, oh, well, you could put a hub city in either Rockland or in Sussex because you have that seating capacity to work it and you probably have enough facilities nearby to make it work. It, it's not necessarily true because you can't have the capacity in New York or New Jersey yet. Right. So then you go like, okay, well, maybe Pennsylvania. Well, Pennsylvania's got to deal with the outbreak that was Philly, so they're mostly on a shutdown still, too. Now, granted, oh, I know they have different okay. faces, so like green and yellow and things like yeah. that. So yeah. I'm not sure how that is out by Washington or not, but maybe they're off the table now because of that. Okay, yeah. well, maybe we could put a hub city in Florence. Well, now you need another hub city that's nearby to that if you're going to follow that American Association model. It's just a lot more difficult because of how far apart these teams are and how they're in such different regions of the country. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I agree, and, and I think it's just you know I think they're on the test toughest spot out of all of these three leagues when it comes to restarting, just because of how, how spread out they are, the different teams you know in different countries, and then of course, um, the fact that you know even like okay, so Sussex County, New Jersey, doesn't have anywhere near the cases that Northern New Jersey does, Northeastern New Jersey does. Um, and Rockland County did get hit pretty hard, but so you might be able to put a, a hub team in Sussex County, but because the rest of New Jersey isn't open, you can't put a hub team there because the state government will let you. So, so I mean, it's there's so many little peculiarities, like you said, that it doesn't even matter necessarily if the team itself can play in its defined region, but it's will the state allow you to do it? And a lot of these state governments aren't going to be so easy to let up on restrictions and then have a, especially in New York, New Jersey, where you had, you know, so many people die. I mean, 12,000 people die in the state of New Jersey from this disease. You're not going to be, you know, as willing to, to really reopen quickly. 
Exactly. I mean, and got to keep in mind with the state government's role, its job isn't to get baseball back on the field quicker. It's to ensure the safest reopening possible for the general population of the state. That That's their goal. I mean, and in a state like New Jersey, I mean, for being honest here, they're going to rush the beaches open before they're going to rush the baseball back. It, yep. it just makes more sense economically from that sense. You can't blame them for being slow and cautious, especially like you said, when you have, I think the number is about 12,500 people dead in New Jersey from this disease, and you have higher numbers than that in New York, you got to be a lot more understanding that they're going to say, you know what, we'd rather go slow and make sure that curve stays nice and flat and that no more people have to die than is necessary here. So you yep. you got to understand that perspective. And like you said, they do have that tough, uh, the toughest job of reopening, at least with the Atlantic League. Their teams are all fairly closely knit. I mean, obviously, high points a bit of the ways out. And before Sugarland went rogue, then, you know, you, you had them in the mix. But now if you only if your furthest south team is high point or your furthest south team becomes like, I don't know, let's say Southern Maryland. I'm just pulling that up then it's a lot more doable. You know, you can make it work, especially if you do hub cities. You know, if yeah. you could get to the point where, say, Southern Maryland and High Point are your two hub cities, maybe that works. Maybe you wind up saying we could do two hub cities, one in like a York or a Lancaster and another one in uh, Somerset or Long Island. That's possible too. There's a lot of options on the table for them. I mean, even if you needed to... If you need to play around with how the travel could be, there's ways you can manipulate it to make it work. But with the Frontier League, it, that's just not a choice. It's not really an option at the moment. But nope. I will say one thing I did find interesting from that interview was how he, Billy was kind of saying, everybody's waiting on somebody to be first. Because yep. nobody wants to pull the trigger first and have it be wrong. He didn't say exactly that, but that was definitely the sense that was coming down. He said, we're waiting to see what Major League Baseball does and what MILB does and what the other independent leagues do. Well, mm -hmm. now we know what one of the independent leagues is doing, and it's kind of the worst-kept secret in baseball that affiliated minor leagues aren't playing this year, and that it's probably just going to be some sort of a taxi squad as the uh, call-up bunch, or it's just going to be the 40-man roster that's going to be used this year. So that only leaves Major League Baseball left, and with the Atlantic League saying next week's going to be our deciding week, uh, it seems like the ticking clock just sped up on the Frontier League. They're going to need to make yep. a decision soon. I got to imagine their drop dead date's coming up. I can't imagine it's much further away than maybe like the 20th, I would yep. say. I, at that point, you need to kind of have a decision. You could open on, say, July 15th and say July 1's going to be our training camp or even July 7th's going to be our training camp and then report to the hub cities and kind of go from there if they do a hub model. But they they need to make a decision within the next week or two if they, they want do. to play this if they want to play this year. Yeah, they do, and they need to get it done quickly, and they need to get it to, you know get it done fast. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think Frontier League's in a tough spot, and you know, uh, again, just back to my earlier point, just shows why it takes a lot of guts for the American Association to say this is what we're doing, and they're doing it, and uh, it. it you know, puts the other leagues on the back on their heels a little bit. And as we'll talk about here in a second, I think it really sets up, it puts the Atlantic League in a spot. It really puts them in a spot uh, to, to kind of really think about, you know, possibly reopening and how can they do that uh, where they are geographically. 
Yeah, exactly. And like you said, we'll jump to the Atlantic League just after after two more points about this Billy interview because there was a couple things here that I thought were interesting. How he said a 60-game season was discussed, a half season was discussed, which seems to be the case at this point. They'll have to be yeah. that. And then the last really COVID-related thing here uh, that I saw, the two things that I saw that were very interesting. Hey, players will only play if they feel safe. I'd like seeing that kind of accommodation, but I kind of felt that was going to be the thing anyway. It's just not worth the bad press to not allow that. Uh, right. Another thing that was really interesting, the Frontier League discussing the hub city idea, which seems like what maybe the model going forward, and mm-hmm. also the possibility of having a round-robin type tournament deal, a, ro- a tournament structure thing, which I think would be very intriguing to watch, especially if you're in those hub cities. And yeah. also the ability to test. That was something that was, that was interesting from here that it may not, it's going to be tough for teams to test every day. It's not off the table, but more than likely we're looking at every week or every two weeks. Yeah. I mean, and then that's what, you know, that's some of the issues that can go into that. But I mean, Hey, if they can figure out a hub city model and they can get enough teams to sign off on it and enough fans to be willing to go you know what you could see frontier league baseball but i do think they will have the hardest um or at least they'll have to trim the most teams to make it work oh yeah no they're it's gonna be interesting to see what they do and then the last point that i thought was interesting from it was he talked a little bit about the merger which is obviously going to be something we're going to talk about with uh, steve tasler next week Mm -hmm. and uh, he said it took about two years to put the merger together and it was finalized at that 2019 all-star game which it's just, it's interesting to see how long that kind of a thing uh, takes to put into motion. Obviously, yeah. the Frontier League will more than likely come out being stronger because of a merger like that. And it must have been a necessity for the Can Am League, but uh, just, it was something interesting to hear about that. It was. It was interesting to hear about that. And I think, uh, I think it, you know, it's something that has benefited all involved. Um, the former Can-Am teams are now in a much better position than they would have been had they still been in a Can-Am league that was definitely uh, not in the most healthiest of states, shall we say. Yep, definitely. So with that, we're going to jump over now to really the last major point of the show today, which is talking about the Atlantic League and particularly about uh, Sugarland kind of jumping now to do their own four-team uh, league, I guess it's really what it is. It's a four-team league based out of Constellation Field, I think it is. I believe it's Constellation mm-hmm. Field in Sugarland. Uh, so the Skeeters will be one of those teams. There'll be three other teams. They will make up rosters for these four teams via draft. Uh, some of the people signed to Sugarland will be included in that draft. They won't all go to the Skeeters. They'll be kind of divvied up amongst the four teams, uh, including, obviously, other players. Yeah, we know Roger Clemens. Yes, that Roger Clemens and his uh, son, <laughs> Kobe Clemens, uh, Pete Incognelia, and Roger Clemens are three of the managers for the four teams. Roger and Kobe do share managing duties for one of those teams, though. So uh, that will be that. Uh, and actually, on July 3rd, too, this league will get going. Only this one will wrap up on August 23rd, 28 games per team. Uh, I believe that's like 56 in total. And, uh, yeah, regular type of rosters, rosters made up of a draft, uh, single header games will be played Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays with double headers on the weekends, total of 90 players or roughly 90 players. So about 23 to a team. Yeah. I mean, again, you can see some really good baseball come out of here. I think this is an interesting move. I think this is a, a move that signals to me that 
uh, they weren't going to be able to the Sugarland wasn't going to be able to play no matter what the Atlantic League did. Uh, and so they made a business decision to get out ahead of it and, you know, get themselves, get something else started before, even before and around for Rick White and the rest of the Atlantic League to uh, get themselves going. Yeah, no, I definitely get that sense too. It's just doing this already with the rumors around Sugarland jumping to affiliated ball. When it came out, it did cause a bit of a buzz. And I do wonder if it was a matter of the travel just won't work, as we'll discuss in a little bit from an article I saw online today about from the Lancaster perspective. I wonder if it was teams being afraid to travel to Texas, or maybe not afraid is the right word, but just seeing the logistical nightmare that that would be to go to and fro Texas. Yep. And I think that's what it was. I think it was that. But I also do wonder, and this is just pure speculation, how much the ownership group of Sugarland played into that. Because I'm going to read through uh, when they asked about the precautions and the safety measures, both for players and, and fans. Just some of these restrictions and the way things are going to be handled, it came off as really odd for me. And so I wonder if that factored into it at all. He said, most likely players will not be tested daily. Players and fans are also going to have separate guidelines. Presumably, the fans will have less restrictions placed on them, and players will have more restrictions placed on them. However, they asked, are these players going to be sequestered to a hotel room? Basically, doing what the United Shore League did, saying you're in the, instead of hotels, it was dorms, but you're in the housing facility, then you go to the ballpark, and then you go back. Well, the answer was they're going to be offered a hotel room, but they're not required to stay at that hotel. If they have homes or host families in the nearby area, they're allowed to stay there. Uh, Likewise, they're not going to be cornered off at all, like I just said. And that he said, if a player tests positive, we're not shutting anything down. We're going to keep going, regardless if it's a positive test or not. And I believe I also saw on there, there was also on the no mask bandwagon too, where fans aren't required to wear a mask. I think, again, it was recommended and not required. So it just seemed like, it seemed rather lackadaisical compared to what we've seen so far. And so I wonder if the Atlantic League saying, look, across all our teams, we need to have the same kind of guidelines. We need to be uniform in this, regardless of what your state is saying. So that way we can be certain that it's going to be safe and that fans are going to feel comfortable. And if Sugarland was on the camp of, that's too restrictive for us. Our state's saying we don't need to do that. We don't want to do that. We want to keep it as normal as possible. I doubt that was a major issue, but I do wonder if that was something. I could see that being something, and I could also see it being, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, I do think that we live in interestingly polarized days, uh, especially when it comes to coronavirus. And so I think that there's a lot of different opinions at play. Uh, and so I could see that being something that impacts an ownership group and and makes them say, you know, look, we probably will get cut from the Atlantic League schedule one way or the other. And we want to do things our way. Um, and we don't really care uh, what the rest of the Atlantic League is going to say at this point. Now, I'm not suggesting this is actually what happened. But I'm, you know, in some kind of speculative world, that could be a thought process there. Um, but at the very least, I do think it was a business decision stating, look, we're better off getting something on the books and making sure we make some money uh, this season rather than 
uh, just waiting around for the Atlantic League, which may very well have to cancel uh, their season. Yeah, I think at the, I agree with you. I think at the end of the day, it came down to just being pure business. But I, I do wonder a little bit about that. Because like I said, I, it's just, it seems very odd to me that you're saying, no, nah, players can just kind of go about and do their business however they'd like. It just seems like, okay, we're not testing them daily, which I didn't expect. I don't think anyone really expects that. But we're not going to test them daily. If they test positive, it's not a big deal. And they can go about doing their own thing. It just seems like we want to do this business as usual with as few social distancing and precaution things as possible. It just seems very odd to me. Maybe it's just because from where we are in northern New Jersey, where it was just such a hot spot here, to not see like almost overprotective measures taken, it just seems lackadaisical to me. But just for some reason to me... it. it I just don't understand why there's not more precautions here, why there's not, at the very least, just for face, why it's not being treated that way. Yeah, I, I don't understand that either. You know, that's a decision that Sugarland is making. They're out on their own here, um, you know, without the protection of the Atlantic League. We'll see what happens with that. That's all I have to say, because it doesn't necessarily paint uh, a good picture if a lot of people get sick at their ballpark. Exactly. I'm, I'm just curious there, especially when you see it, it's spiking in Texas. I mean, we'd mentioned earlier that, you know, the rate of infections going up in Texas. So yeah. it just seem, it seems a bit odd to me to, to do that. But hey, hey, if it works out for them, go for them. But, yep. but either way, so that's that. But uh, the, really the main commotion, like I said, was they were one of those teams where were to jump to affiliated ball along with St. Paul, but St. Paul cleared it up very quickly each time it came up where they said, look, we're not interested. We're flattered, but we're not interested. Second time, independence baseball is in our blood. We have no desire to go for it, to go to become affiliated. We'd rather be independent. And the second time the Sugarlands name came up, at least I didn't see it. And if it did come out, I'd like to have it sent to me. They made a statement saying, no, we're not interested in it because I, I didn't see the second time their name came up, uh, Sugarland issue any sort of a statement. And if I do remember correctly, Sugarland was a bit slow to the jump there to issue a statement saying, no, we were happy in the Atlantic League. So I yeah. do wonder if they're getting a little bit more interested in saying, okay, we weren't going to be able to play in the Atlantic League this year, seemingly barring a miracle. Why don't we go out on our own, see how strong our brand is in and of itself in these kind of pandemic-ridden times. And if we do well, we meet our expectation or even exceed our expectation, maybe we take up that offer to become affiliated. Maybe that's our better better pathway here. You know, yeah, I, I yeah. to get a little Shakespearean here, it <laughs> almost seems like each, t- each organization was offered the crown... Th- twice now so we're one off from hitting it thrice st paul denied it twice and now sugarland's not quite there yet yeah they're they're not the correct they're not going to deny the crown a third time maybe yeah i mean i think uh i think you're right in a sense that look sugarland clearly has the resources and the capability to be an affiliated team if that's the route they so choose to go down um i think mlib has shown plenty of interests um you know i think it's just something that you know we'll see what happens but this could be a precursor to that but also we might not want to read too much into it just because i do think there are real economic and and, and geographic 
problems with getting people to Sugar Land. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, there's obviously, just from a practical standpoint, issues here. But I, I've always... I've always had the thought that if there was one of the two, it was going to be Sugarland, And I just, yeah. I get the sense here. I don't know why. It's just kind of a gut feeling I'm getting that I, I don't know how much longer we're going to see Sugarland in the Atlantic League. Maybe it's just because when you look at a map of Atlantic League teams, they're out on an island by themselves. Maybe it's just because it's always awkward whenever you have to schedule, you know, seven games in a row against the same team because going back and forth to Texas, like a usual schedule just doesn't seem to make sense it just for some reason it just throws me off a little bit obviously i want them in the league obviously it would help out a lot especially with uh, gastonia coming in next year Mm -hmm. you can it would make a it make things a lot easier a lot better to have them there but it's i don't know i just get a weird sense there interesting well we'll have to wait and see so before we wrap up the show here, I do want to just touch on some of the other Atlantic League stuff. Uh, they released a, their press release about Sugarland earlier today. They didn't say anything on Thursday. Apparently, there was an emergency meeting called amongst uh, all the ownership group on Thursday about this, which the lack of a statement when it came out, in addition to an emergency meeting, kind of tells me that the Atlantic League didn't see this coming, which yep. is a little bit troubling. And... Now they're issued the press statement, which is basically, look, they were talking about doing this. You know, we look forward to working with them again. They had to do this from a business perspective. It basically says what you expect it to say. Uh, obviously, that's linked in the show notes as well for you to read. Yeah, it's just interesting to see where it's going to go from here. In that same article, it said next week we're going to know the fate of the 2020 Atlantic League season. So I yep. look forward to seeing that here and what that entails. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, we'll have to wait and see on Sugarland. Could be, like you're saying, your gut feeling could be right. I think it, there's some, there's certainly some there there, uh, to put it lightly. You know, also, I, I am interested to see what the Atlantic League does. I think what the Atlantic League do, does will directly impact what the Frontier League does uh, in some strange way. I feel like, you know, if you've got two out of the three, then the third league is going to have to find a way to play. But if the Atlantic League pulls the plug, then I think um, the Frontier League may also pull the plug on the season so we'll have to see uh what happens there yep i know i've heard some rumors that perhaps if you don't have sugarland this year in the in the atlantic league and you don't have say one or two other teams if they're just not able to make it work this year there was talk that you'd add perhaps and i know this is just rumor and speculation but that rockland which is now New York technically, but I'm going to refer to them as Rockland going forward. Uh, <laughs> Rockland, Sussex County, and New Jersey, they would all go in as temporary members of the Atlantic League. Now, I don't see that happening for one simple reason. I don't see Al Dorso footing the bill for two separate teams in the same <laughs> league with a higher salary cap. It's one yeah. thing when it's the Frontier League and things are a little bit more inexpensive, it's another thing when you're paying for two Atlantic League teams in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, um, I mean, I think the the only team that really makes sense is Rockland. Um, neither Yogi Berra or uh, Skylands has the capacity for a Atlantic League game. Although I guess maybe with social distancing, maybe everything has the capacity for an Atlantic League game now. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think it would be, if anything, it would be Rockland and one of the New Jersey teams. There would be no point to adding both. Yeah, no, I don't see both happening. I could see maybe, I could see maybe Skylands just simply based off of 
that stadium is a lot more open. You have the yep. seating capa- capacity there. Even in the parking lot, you could space people out. You can. And, and there's yeah. a lot of ways you can get in and out. Like it's that one fence gate that they never actually lock. So everyone just kind of goes out that way to cut off all yeah. the main traffic on the main gate. Yeah. You could put them in on each of those ends. You could put them in through the main entrance. You could really do a, you could manage it. You can make it work. So I could see that happening. Yep. And you, uh, realistically, you could probably combine uh, the Jackals and the Miners, put them in Skylands, have them play as one team there. And that'd actually probably be a good Atlantic League team when you get down to it. I mean, yep. it's certainly a possibility there, but I do agree. I think Rockland would be the team that would get added. I know that Rockland's wanted to go to the Atlantic League for some time. I don't know if the Atlantic League has wanted to add them for some time, uh, but I know I've heard that's the case, at least for now. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Again, that's all just rumor, though. And next week, we'll know. I'm personally leaning towards they're going to announce that we have an intention to play this year. As of right now, we're going to plan to play either the end of July, beginning of August, assuming everything continues to get better and that it's going to be a usual season like that. That's kind of my guess at the moment. I don't know if that's actually going to happen because really there's not much to tangibly grab on. We haven't gotten any sort of indication from the remaining seven members of this league for 2020 as to what their plan is, to what their state is. So uh, it's yep. really, it's anyone's guess, really. It is. So we'll have to wait and see. Yep. So uh, with that said, I think we're good to wrap the show uh, for this week now. I appreciate Josh Schaub for coming on to the show this week to discuss the American Association. Look forward to talking to Steve Tasler of the Frontier League next week. And uh, if you want to find us on Twitter, you can do so at IndieBallPod. You want to do that on Instagram, you can find us at IndieBallReport and IndieBallReportJames. You want to find our show notes, articles, videos, and everything and anything independent league baseball, you can find that on our website at IndieBallReport.com. You can find rate review, and subscribe to the podcast on TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any major podcatcher really will have our podcast on it. And with that said, do we have anything else left to add? Nope. Just, uh, you know, see you all next week and uh, keep keep on keeping on. We'll hopefully have enough baseball to talk about soon and we can really transition into some of the good stuff we had planned for the season. Yep, I'm just I'm looking forward to seeing uh, seeing some live baseball again, and I look forward to having independent league baseball again. The light is finally at the end of the tunnel, and so uh, yes. with all that said, nothing else left to add. Don't forget to play ball. <laughs>